0: Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. So what I've been thinking about lately is a seeming contradiction in the scriptures, We're told in the New Testament that our primary enemy is the principalities and powers. And of course most people, and I think quite rightly, would interpret that as the powers over people, the governments, the monarchies, the bureaucracies, and so on. And given that pretty much all of those systems Tend, at least in the course of time, to make everything worse. Everything that they try to get involved in merely becomes worse. Some people, of course, would debate that hotly, saying, "No, no, no, when they come in, it gets much better. Well, hold on a second. When the government gets involved in some organization or company or system, things do indeed get better initially. And the reason for that is not far to seek. Human beings respond to incentives. So if the incentive structure is still in such a way that hard work gives you rewards, then when the government comes in, that mentality still lingers. But not for long. See, when the government comes in, they always do the same thing. They subsidize, or they give you, rather than the carrot, the stick. They will tax you, they will fine you if you do something that they don't like. They change the incentive structure as their primary involvement, and that is one of the, of the reasons why, in fact, probably the chief reason why, when they come into a system or a company or whatever, they always make it worse. Because, of course, if you are going to be paid, no matter what you do, no matter if you do a good job or a bad job, or maybe the way that you get paid is you fill a particular quota, you need to have this many people of this particular race, or you need to have done something with X amount of people, or you need to have written this many tickets or receipts or whatever, then you're going to do whatever you can to fulfill that particular requirement, regardless of the quality of the work you do it through or with. If you simply need to fill a quota, that becomes your goal. That's how you get your money. But again, when the government first becomes involved, people are still going to be running that system out of the previous mentality and incentive structure of good work gets you money, good work gets the customers to like what you do, so the customers pay you more money, they walk through the doors more often, they pay you more money, or maybe money isn't the particular reward of that system at the time, maybe it's simply attention. Maybe you get it indirectly, so as long as people simply know that you exist, you're going to get your revenue eventually. Whatever the case, people are going to have that incentive structure. the government comes in, they either give you some kind of quota to fill, or they simply pay you regardless. They pay you essentially to exist. Well, then you become the DMV. But again, it doesn't happen right away. When you stop being rewarded for doing good work, then of course you don't care about doing good work as much if people who are doing less good work than you are being paid just as much as you, or at least comparably, depending on their position. It wouldn't matter, of course, if you do a worse job, if your mentality simply shifts and you're just going to make as much money. A person with that kind of a mentality, somebody that ambitious, is probably just going to quit and go to a new job, even if they make less money, it will be more fulfilling for them, or if they don't care, then they're just going to change their mentality, not work as hard, because, hey, they're going to make as much money as they used to anyway. So, yes, when the government comes in, almost no matter what they do, and I haven't really seen any exceptions myself, they make things worse. They make people less friendly, less connected, and less willing to serve one another for they don't have the proper incentive structure anymore. And of course, beyond that, we could talk about the relinquishing of freedoms, the increasing of controls, and overall confusion that the principalities and powers generally bring upon the human populace. Anyway, having gone through all of that, and trying to explain a little bit of why the principalities and powers would seem to be rightly interpreted as the government in general. Why, then, if the principalities and powers are, quote-unquote, our primary enemy, is it that Jesus, first of all, talked about, when he answered the uh, question about taxes, he talked about giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's? Or how about Paul and Peter, who both spoke very highly about respecting the government, obeying the king, that kind of thing? How is it that, if the principalities and powers are our enemies, that we are also supposed to respect and obey those very governments? Peter also talking about the fact that the authorities and governments are given the sword by God himself, or Jesus when say, saying essentially the same point when inquired by Pontius Pilate, he said that he would have no authority over jesus i mean I think the correct interpretation would be Jesus is human person, his human body, if he hadn't been given it by God in the first place. Why is it that we are supposed to fall under even see as given by God the authority of those who are supposed to be our enemies? How does that make sense? Well, this goes into a very common Christian misconception. See, On the one side, yes, I think it is correct that they are our enemies, but that doesn't mean that we are simply supposed to hate them or oppose them or go against them in every single way. What we will do fundamentally as Christians or just morally living people will eventually go against the principalities and powers. In fact, it is rather inevitable that we will through the course of time, and one of the reasons for that is that living morally and living as a genuine Christian is going to increase the amount to which people think for themselves, the amount that people live truly independently, which is to say that they live in obedience to virtue, to morality, to God, but they live independent of the rules of church or bureaucracy or government. And eventually the principalities and powers, and sometimes, by the way, this can be the church are going to dislike you for doing that. You're a rogue. You're uncontrollable. You actually think for yourself. Now, I don't mean to imply that that's the only reason why we will become the enemies of the principalities and powers, but it is one of them, and probably the biggest one. But I'm not certain of that. Anyway, it's the one that immediately jumps to my mind. Christians are not necessarily supposed to directly oppose the principa And powers that would essentially be suicidal. And we're not supposed to dishonor them for one big reason that we are not supposed to be unself preserving. We're not supposed to not look out for our own safety, our own well being, and so on. And this is what I mentioned earlier as the common misconception among Christians. Now, there are a lot of verses in the scripture that seem to imply that we are supposed to care nothing for ourselves, but that's not exactly what even those scriptures say. It's sa- they say that we're not supposed to look for- out for ourselves because that's God's job. In other words, it's not that we're not supposed to be cared for, it's that we are not the primary ones doing it as Christians. We are supposed to be cared for. Or you could talk about the one of my favorite parables, the parable of the talents, When the master gives the talents to those men, he is not giving it to them thinking that they're only going to, that they're only going to use it for his ends. They're going to use it to preserve themselves as well. Why? Because if they didn't pay for their own board and keep and food and just general sustenance, they couldn't continue to live and continue to be stewards of the resources they were given keeping of. Now, some people would probably raise the objection, oh, but what about Jesus to the rich young ruler? He tells him that he should sell everything he has and come and follow him. Well, first of all, to do that act, to if he had done it right then and sold everything he had and followed Christ, would he have abandoned (laughs) self-preservation? No. He would have simply shifted his self-preservation He would have given up self-preservation through his good, through his fine and great riches and given his self-preservation or his preservation in general to God. That's what Jesus was really asking him to do, to change his loyalty. The real core of the issue here is made fairly clear, especially if you consider the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and a rich man. But the moment that Zacchaeus comes to Christ, he is penitent, humble. He talks about how he gives four times, which was about uh, double, yeah, double the suggest or the uh, lawful amount, with any cheating that he was found to do, purposefully, purposefully or accidentally. Zacchaeus shows very quickly that money is not his god; it is not his idol. He comes to Jesus penitently, and Jesus says, without saying a word about his riches, about his tax collecting, that salvation has come to this home. The riches are not the problem. It's the heart that is the problem. The rich young ruler's issue was not his money, it was his idolization of his riches, his dependence on his money, his idea that his self-preservation relied on his riches and not on God. Now, if you still doubt me about the idea of self-preservation, there's a lot more arguments I could bring to bear, of course, but I will satisfy myself to simply point out that Jesus himself was highly self-preserving. Now, you might want to object, but he went to the cross. Well, pay attention to what he did prior to going to the cross. When the people of his home village of Nazareth were trying to kill him, he slipped away. We don't even know if that was a miracle or what on earth happened there, but whatever the case, he found a way to slip away and he slipped away. And again, when the Pharisees were trying to stone him, he again slipped away. Either he was working some sort of miracle or God was working, God the Father was working some kind of miracle for him, or he was extremely clever. Finally, the parable of the shrewd manager. Pay attention to the context of the story that Jesus gives. The shrewd manager is specifically self-preserving. He cheats, he changes the bills on his master's collections in order to gain favor with those very people so that they will invite him into their homes. That's specifically what it says. And then when Jesus finishes the parable, he specifically points out that we should use unrighteous mammon. In other words, we should use money to gain favor with people. Is that not very self-preserving? And in in a way, it's also consistent with what I've just been saying, that money should not be our God in fact we should be so free with our money that we should use it to gain favor with people it seems very topsy turvy by comparison to what a lot of christians say today or at least churches so when it comes to obeying the government the governments as peter points out he talks about specifically those who bear the sword you could see that as judges as policemen and so on that may be simply falling under the authority of those who do, in fact, desire to use their authority well. Those kinds of roles very often have people who want to facilitate an orderly and agreeable and kind society. Of course, that's not necessarily always going to be the case. But even when they wield the sword poorly, they still wield the sword, as Peter points out, that God has given them. So when it comes to that kind of a level because of course this is the real crux of the problem that we have with these kinds of verses is honoring and paying taxes etc etc to those people who wield government and authority and the sword and so on the ability to punish unrighteously why is it that we should continue to honor and obey them even then well if you really want to boil it down it is simply the advice to not be stupid see A lack of courage is cowardice, while an excess of courage is foolhardiness. Jesus did not simply give up his life for any reason. He gave up his life when it was specifically his duty to the Father that was the giving up of his life, going to the cross. He didn't simply allow it to happen because people were enraged at him, because they wanted to throw stones, because they wanted to throw him off a ledge. He only allowed it to happen when it was very clearly the mission of the Father to do it. Now for us, we're not supposed to simply oppose the governments and oppose the bureaucracies and so on in a foolhardy manner and get ourselves killed. Going back to what I said earlier, if we do not sustain ourselves with the stewardships of the resources that God himself has given us, then we will not continue to be alive to steward those resources. The advice to honor the government, regardless of their moral structure, is simply the advice to not be foolhardy, to not be an idiot, to not get ourselves killed needlessly and not even just killed, excommunicated, thrown out, having nobody with uh, nobody that will listen to us, whatever the case may be, we are supposed to be again shrewd. We're supposed to use the unrighteous man and the resources of the principalities and the powers to win. To win in our own lives. See, we think that we're always supposed to just stand on this on principles and we're supposed to oppose anything that's bad and blah, 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 no matter the cost. That's the very opposite of the scriptural instruction. The scriptural instruction is to be clever about how we do it. If there is a knife that we hold against the principalities and powers, which by the way there isn't, but just for the analogy, even metaphorically, if there is a knife that we have against the government, it's supposed to come in silently, slowly, and in the back. Now, it is through doing good, absolutely. But those who are opposed to the good are truly opposed to the good. It's another thing we do not realize. They are really, actually enemies. And an enemy will smite you quickly if you are out in the open. And you will be out in the open if you simply try to stand on principle and oppose whatever, no matter the case, no matter the cost, out in the open. Again. That's just a way to get yourself to stick out like a sore thumb and be opposed very quickly, silenced very quickly. The governments do hold authority that can only come from God, but they do not necessarily hold it morally. And that, again, is one of the big reasons why they are our primary enemies in this world. But we should have a healthy fear of that power, because, again, it couldn't have been in their hands in the first place if it didn't ultimately come from God. The Bible is telling us to be self-preserving so that we can continue to operate in God's way in God's service in this world and not get ourselves excommunicated or killed. So, that's all I had on my mind for today. Hope that's good food for thought. Until next time.